You know, we were talking about cars and everything in grad. He had a lot of plans, you know, he was and a good guy. Community in shock. A friend speaks out about the killing of two teen boys. What the investigation has learned. Not so cute and fuzzy. It's not a common thing that comes into the emergency department. The backyard critter that sent a baby girl to hospital. Rest in peace, Ash. Your Vancouver Canucks! He knew it was a Canucks game when, when you heard John's voice. Tributes pour in for the voice of Vancouver hockey. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with breaking news for you and the arrest and deportation of an alleged money launderer who was using the River Rock Casino in Richmond. RCMP say Dan Boishun Jin is alleged to be a high roller suspected of laundering $855 million through Australian casinos. The U.S has also issued a warrant for his arrest. RCMP say they arrested Jin a few days after he arrived in B.C., supported by River Rock Casino surveillance. They say Jin was carrying more than $75,000 at the time. Jin has been issued a deportation order and is being held in detention pending his removal. Now to Surrey, where grief counselors have been brought in for students at a high school trying to comprehend the senseless loss of two young men. The bodies of the 16 and 17-year-olds found at the side of a road. Police calling their deaths targeted. Sonia Diol now with more on what we're learning about the victims from their friends. And it's really sad what happened, you know, just in shock. Friends of the two murdered boys still can't believe what's happened. He was honestly a great guy, a great guy, you know. He was good at heart. The bodies of 17-year-old Jaskaran Jesse Bungle and 16-year-old Jaskaran Jason Duty found shot to death lying on the side of a rural stretch of road in Surrey on Monday night. Police today saying they still had more questions than answers. They were not known to police, but uh, we are looking at their backgrounds. We are reaching out and speaking with their family members and their friends. Was he involved in any way in a, in a negative lifestyle? No, nah, he wasn't. Uh, no, nah, he wasn't. He was a really good guy. But with two cars found set on fire on the same night, just a short distance away from the crime scene, all the hallmarks of a typical gang-related shooting, what decisions did these boys take to make them a target of such a brutal death? If they were involved, could the signs have been completely missed? Certainly there is uh, an ability for staff uh, at any level who work with the students to have uh, to pick up on these cues. Uh, but at the same time, uh, whether it's uh, infallible, I don't. I don't think it is. Reaction in Surrey today, very strong. It's grief, shock, disappointment. That's scary. I think the community really, especially our East Indian community, needs to step up. Because they're not, they don't want to, they don't, they don't question where their kids are going and what they're doing. Both dead boys had attended Frank Hurt Secondary School. Today, grief counsellors on hand for students who had turned up for class. The library, which is kind of an area of refuge for uh, the students and staff who, who need support, has been full. A double murder case so early in its investigation that's left this community dealing with the aftermath once again. Sonia Diol, Global News. New surveillance photos released today of two men homicide investigators believe are involved in the murder of a gang member in North Vancouver last December. Grace Key has more on the suspects, and Grace, police need the public's help. 
The integrated homicide investigation team is asking the public to take a good look at some newly released surveillance images. They show two vehicles and two men they believe are associated with Govinda Greenwald's murder. Now, one is a 2003 to 2008 dark-colored Lexus RX 350. The other is a 2016 to 2018 black Nissan Titan. Surveillance video also shows two people in that vehicle. One, a South Asian male, 20 to 25 years of age, wearing a black jacket and white shirt. The second, South Asian, 25 to 30 years of age, has a beard and was wearing a toque and dark jacket. Now, Grewell was killed on December 2017 in his North Vancouver apartment. Uh, we're not sure exactly what their roles are, but we believe they're associated to Mr. Grewell's murder. Little things like this will can make a huge impact on a homicide investigation. So I urge everybody to look at those photographs and contact Dahid if you recognize either of them. Police say Grewell's murder was targeted and associated with other gang violence. At the time of his murder, he was facing a manslaughter charge. Sophie? Grace Key reporting. Grace, thank you. Police also seeking the public's assistance in locating two missing men whose disappearance is now being deemed suspicious. 37-year-old Daniel Archibald and 43-year-old Ryan Daly were last seen leaving the Ukulit Small Craft Harbor by foot on May 16th. They had recently returned from a sailing trip to Panama and had docked in Ukulit on May 13th. But when family and friends hadn't heard from them, they were reported missing. Anyone with information about the pair is asked to call police. A gun scare that prompted several schools to enact hold and secure measures in Port Coquitlam this morning turned out to be fireworks. Residents in the Hyde Creek area calling 911 around 4.30 this morning when they heard what they thought was gunfire. RCMP, along with the emergency response team, attended. Just after 11, the neighborhood was given the all clear. There's no question that anything involving gunshots is going to cause concern. And anytime you're near a school, given the reality of the world we live in today, we have to take extra precautions. That just means that everybody has to take responsibility for that new reality. If you're going to let off bear bangers, firecrackers, anything near a school, you have to be cognizant of the fact that people are going to be really worried. Tougher talk from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Global News getting exclusive access to the PM, both in a sit-down interview, where for the first time he revealed he's not worried about losing seats over the project, and as he met with Kinder Morgan employees in Edmonton, who challenged him on the controversy. Hey guys. Alberta is not exactly known as friendly territory for federal Liberal Party leaders. But that's exactly where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was yesterday as he visited a Kinder Morgan facility to meet some workers on that pipeline his government intends to buy. And he faced some tough questions. Why did it take that long to buy the pipeline? Um, because we would have rather not have had to buy the pipeline. I guess there's a few people who say if, if we had legislated really hard or gone to the Supreme Court right away and gotten the Supreme Court to very quickly say, of course, this is federal jurisdiction... Um, it might have been different, but the Supreme Court takes a while. We realized that this was the only surefire, reliable way of ensuring your jobs. And as for those dogged anti-pipeline protesters... In saying that the environment and the economy need to go together, we reject the idea of a choice of either one or the other. Now, there's folks with signs out there saying, no, 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 it has to be the environment, and so sorry about all your jobs. There are other folks who say, well, no, don't worry about the environment. We'll just totally focus on 
uh, the business of the oil sands. And what I'm trying to do is, is get that balance right. From there, it was off to a sit-down interview with Global National anchor Donna Friesen, in which he made it clear he feels his government has total jurisdiction over the pipeline, no matter what the B.C. NDP government says. This is an issue of federal jurisdiction. This is uh, an authority that the federal government has to build uh, projects that cross party, uh, cross uh, provincial lines. And that's exactly party lines too in this case. Uh, this is what we're going to do. But for the first time, the Prime Minister admitted his pipeline position may cost him some seats in the next election. You know that there are some prominent Liberals in British Columbia who are opposed to the pipeline too. Mm-hmm. You could lose seats in British Columbia over this. Does that concern you? Um, as I said from the beginning, my focus is on doing the right things for the country. Uh, if, if, if you know, electoral math is all that you care about, um, then you're not going to do a very good job of doing what's in the right interests of the country. All right, Keith Bald rejoins us from Victoria with more on this. Keith, the PM hasn't been here in BC much in recent months, except for a, a short visit earlier this week as part of that tour. Do you think his visit signals a change? Will we see more of him in the months to come? Yeah, we're going to be seeing more of him. We talked to officials in Ottawa today that uh, he held back uh, for some time because it was unclear what was going to happen with Kinder Morgan with that deadline uh, that suddenly was pounced on by, by Kinder Morgan. The B.C. government's so-called uh, 0.5 of that surprise news release about arguing they could uh, regulate the flow of bitumen. So things were in flux for a while. Now that it's clear Trudeau's made his decision, he's gone all in on, on buying this pipeline. Look for him to make repeated visits to both Alberta and B.C. as he tries to sell this pipeline and a much more aggressive way than he has in the past. He's not going to shy away from protesters. He's getting, he's t- starting to talk tougher, both on Kinder Morgan and on Trump and those tariffs. So a different Trudeau is emerging as we get closer to next year's election. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Keith Bald rejoining us in Victoria. Vancouver voters will notice a different look to the ballot at this fall's civic election. City Council deciding today to do away with the alphabetical listing of names. Instead, mayoral, council and park board commissioner candidates will be listed in a random order. Council has approved $235,000 for strategies to prepare voters for the change, which is aimed at giving candidates a more even playing field. Research has shown that voters often choose the name at the top of the ballot. Concerns tonight about a brain drain of millennials from Metro Vancouver because of, you guessed it, the housing market. A new survey shows people under the age of 30 have so much angst about housing affordability that nearly two-thirds of them are considering moving away. Jeff Hastings reports. For sale, but so what? It seems an increasing number of young adults in Metro Vancouver are looking past home ownership, having decided it's not for them and not because they don't want to buy. It's ridiculously hard. Coast Capital Savings and Insights West asked young adults for their feelings about the mere possibility of owning a home. An astonishing 85% of 18 to 29-year-olds say it's virtually impossible for a young person to buy a house today. Never thought, to be honest, I'd even be able to buy. And um, I kind of just gave up on it. I was like, I'm going to be renting the rest of my life, paycheck to paycheck, whatever. Nearly two-thirds, 60% of adults under 30, said they're considering moving to areas where home ownership is less costly. 
many already have. Now my commute's a little bit further. I'd never spent money, much time in that community. And the reality is I had to go where I could afford to get what I needed. Over 50% are actually considering leaving Metro Vancouver to go live somewhere else to find affordable housing. And that has implications for brain drain, for youth in the province, and it really represents a demographic shift that we haven't really seen before, but is on the horizon. And there's definitely a divide. Only about a third of those 30-plus surveyed are thinking about moving. Really need to pay attention to the implications of this. Otherwise, we're going to end up as a a town of uh, folks over 50. The older crowd is also more confident in their financial situation, an attitude that would help their younger peers, even given the challenges they face. I've always been of the belief that it's been more of a view of their feeling like they will never be able to achieve home ownership, so therefore they've said they're not interested, but in fact that's not, not the case. Jeff Hastings, Global News. The lush hills of a Guatemala resort before and after the volcano disaster. Dramatic new video showing the scope of the devastation later on the news hour. Plus, meet your new neighbor, Oprah Winfrey's rumored new property coming up. Right now, though, BC's auto glass shops say they'll take a hit as ICBC drives ahead with cost-cutting measures. The industry saying not only will the new policies kill jobs, some customers might have to wait days longer for their vehicles. Tetranecki reports. In all that's wrong with ICBC, auto glass installers don't believe they are the problem. A crack in the windshield is minor when everyone knows the vast majority of ICBC's claims involve lawyers and liability and injury settlements. So when the province changed the rules this Monday, glass installers say that will put some of them out of business. We're going back to the 90s and we're still getting paid those same prices. The Automotive Retailers Association says windshield replacement accounts for less than 9% of all the money ICBC spends to repair damaged vehicles. So why would the province unilaterally attack this sector and do so without any consultation? We have a corporation in serious financial difficulty and a government who is singularly focused on getting ICBC costs down. We appreciate that. We respect that. We're asking only to be part of the conversation. I get letters from people every day who say that if they pay cash, they pay less for windshield replacement than if it's an ICBC job. ICBC cannot pay the most for windshield replacement in British Columbia. We can't afford it. The glass installers we talked to today say they can't afford the cuts that went into effect on Monday. One installer drove down from Prince George for today's news conference just to make sure his voice was heard. Of the hundreds of thousands of dollars that this discount is going to cost us just won't enable us to, to, to do business the way we have done business. And, uh, and it's, it's putting jobs in, at risk. The installers are demanding the province postpone the changes until everyone gets a clearer picture of how this policy will actually impact all the livelihoods of British Columbians in the glass installing business. Ted Schnecke, Global News. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, a Kelowna-based animation studio is growing by leaps and bounds. Yeti Farm Creative opened three years ago in Kelowna with just five employees. Now they have about 80 And they've just announced they're joining forces with an international company called Surprise Bag Inc. The expansion expected to eventually create up to 200 new jobs. Essentially, it's a talent merger. So we have an existing management team in place and they're going to be coming in to fill roles within our management team that we're missing. So, yes, we're merging talents. It's hoped the integration will also connect the company to overseas markets and thereby create more jobs.
A warning to parents tonight after an eight-month-old Nanaimo girl needed surgery to remove parts of a caterpillar from inside her mouth. Her mother posting about the experience on Facebook saying, Attention parents, watch out for those cute, fuzzy, orange and black caterpillars. She and her children were in their backyard when her daughter started screaming. She noticed black marks inside her mouth and when they didn't come off, Mum headed straight for the hospital. The doctor confirmed the insect's hairs had stuck to the girl's tongue and its tentacles had fused to her cheek. Dr. Paul Hasselbeck says it's a rare situation, but it's something parents need to look out for. Uh, it's not a common thing that comes into the emergency department and certainly um, not something that even young children typically do. But when we get to very small infants and toddlers that are mouthing objects in the environment around them, that becomes a risk, not just for their caterpillars, but perhaps for other plants or other uh, substances in the area that can be somewhat poisonous. The girl underwent surgery at Victoria General Hospital. 98% of the caterpillar pieces were removed, and she's expected to make a full recovery. A number of North Vancouver businesses are growing these days, but not in the way you might expect. They've joined a program to establish a network of mobile street gardens aimed at both educating the public and feeding the hungry. Linda Aylesworth reports. The mode of delivery for Life Space Gardens is green in more than one way. The last two days I've been like rolling these gardens all over the community and just like the response that you get, like people are just so excited about the idea. The idea to line Lower Lonsdale Avenue in North Vancouver with mobile vegetable gardens. I think it's awesome. I think it's a phenomenal idea. So did Wes Hooper when he dreamed it up. His company makes these self-watering systems from hand-milled cedar in his shop just a few blocks from Lonsdale. Soil on top, water underneath, and then the water wicks up from these contact points up into the soil through capillary action. Reducing the need to regularly water the plants appealed to the local business owners who would be responsible for their care. And there was another aspect of the shipyard garden district idea that increased their enthusiasm. What if we could grow food for the Harvest Project? What if we could convince folks in this area to have little gardens that we can collectively gather together to, to help others? And so it was that the Lower Lawnsdale business community agreed to fund the project. One by one, the vegetable gardens are rolling into place. It's almost like a magical experience, you know? You put this little seed, this little speck in the earth, this like great thing grows, you, you share the effort, and, uh, and then you get to eat it. With such enthusiasm, it's little wonder 40 businesses are already involved. This is just phase one. Uh, we hope to double that in year two um, and bring it out through the entire neighborhood, which is 18 square blocks. I think and I hope it's really going to be like a point of pride for all the businesses that are involved. And I'd love to see it grow even farther. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Heart-stopping video from South Carolina, where a mother and baby are trapped by fire. She's forced to throw the 11-month-old to a man below before jumping herself. Both survived, the baby with a few scratches and bruises. Well, with the death toll now at more than 75, with 200 still missing, there are new warnings tonight of more possible destructive flows from the volcano of fire in Guatemala. As crews search for more victims, devastated survivors are struggling to cope with the unimaginable loss. By all accounts, it is a ghost town. From the air, El Rodeo, Guatemala seems haunting, 
a mass grave of ash and rock. But for Hugo Lopez, it was home. The home he left behind to go to work on Sunday. The home where he last saw his wife and kids before the volcano erupted. I apologize to the authorities for coming back so soon, he says, but I was desperate. Remarkably, he tells us 46 of his extended family members are missing. Here, you truly get a sense of the overwhelming magnitude of this disaster. Rock, ash, and mud as far as the eye can see. We're walking through what used to be homes. Now, this country is mourning an incredible loss. Today, rescuers pulled more bodies from the rubble. There's a threat of more explosions, even as the scope of the devastation becomes clearer. Before the eruption, this luxury resort boasted of stunning views of the so-called volcano of fire. Now it is covered in a thick blanket of ash. All of its guests managed to evacuate. We met Jose Roldan, who found this dog but was still looking for his pregnant cousin. He says she was due to give birth next week. Tonight, she's among the almost 200 people unaccounted for in ghost towns that are still unreachable. Several patients are now being flown to the U.S. to be treated for severe burns. The workers here say they will continue to search for bodies, but they don't know for how long. Guests and staff at a luxury hotel in London were forced to evacuate today. More than 100 firefighters were called in to battle a blaze in the roof of the historic Mandarin Hotel in London. The 116-year-old building suffered extensive damage, but it looks like there were no injuries or fatalities. No word on the cause, but crews had been working on the roof. One of the wildest police chases you're ever going to see in Virginia. The vehicle, an armored personnel carrier. The alleged driver, a member of the National Guard, who took to social media during the pursuit. With sirens blaring, it was a 75-mile chase. The getaway vehicle, an M577 armored personnel carrier stolen from Fort Pickett, Virginia, and going 40 miles per hour. Is that like loose? As witnesses did a double take, inside the unarmed APC say police, First Lieutenant Joshua Yabbitt had his gun, but no ammo. Taking to Twitter during the two-hour trip, Yabbitt posted photos and this video allegedly of him driving and tweeted, man, am I thirsty. Then, this is Sovereign 6 Actual, any station on this net, do you read me? To which someone replied, you are coming in broken and stupid. A few minutes later, where is this damn water buffalo? A reference to a military water trailer. The National Guard says Lieutenant Yabbitt is an Afghan war vet who was at his yearly routine training when he suddenly drove away in the APC. Leading police up busy I-95. Finally, just before 10 p.m. in downtown Richmond, the APC came to a stop. Yabbitt was tased and surrendered. Tonight, charged with driving under the influence of drugs and eluding police, the APC turned back over to the National Guard undamaged. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. BC has a new A-list next-door neighbor, at least according to some reports. Oprah Winfrey has reportedly bought this estate on Orcas Island, just east of Victoria. Winfrey reportedly paid just over $8 million for the 7,300-square-foot 7, home on 43 acres of property. It also has a 2,900-square-foot guest house. Well, even by the lofty standards of transplant surgery, it was a remarkable feat. A B.C. doctor performing three heart transplants in 24 hours. Aaron MacArthur catches up with the three lucky recipients two years later. 
I'm looking at the base of the heart right now. So. It's checkup day for Gavin Barber. His heart, by all accounts, beating like a drum. It wasn't always this way. Two years ago, the Kamloops man was on death's door. Ooh, before the surgery was not good. Just before, I ended up in a wheelchair, and uh, my heart was very enlarged and no energy at all. His transplant surgery was scheduled for June 8, 2016. So was Dave Mello. It's really hard to, dis to put into words how I feel. Uh, to be in the shape that I was, I couldn't walk up a, a set of stairs. Two of three heart transplants done at St. Paul's Hospital in one 24-hour period. All by Dr. Anson Chung and his team. It's a day the surgeon remembers because it was his birthday. Still, uh, up to today, is the best birthday present I, re I receive. Uh, you know, having given the opportunity uh, to, to help three people in need. Don't have to run. The change is easy to see. Both men taking full advantage of a rare second chance, knowing full well it has come at another family's loss. You know, you think about, as I say, the donor family and how elated I am and how, how they must feel because obviously they lost a loved one. It's a total different appreciation for life and everything around it. Three transplants in 24 hours by one surgeon. It's possible it's never been done anywhere else in North America, but the only thing that really matters is that they worked. Preliminary report here that shows that you have a completely normal heart. How about that? Well done. How about that? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Two Oscar-winning BC animators are heading for the world's biggest animation festival with their latest film and a heartfelt message. Nadia Stewart tells us why film buffs in France will be hearing about the life-saving work done by Vancouver General Hospital. Ah, very good. Lorraine's partner is sending her a very clear message. How should she deal with this? It is the film Alison Snowden and David Fine weren't sure they'd even finish. I just couldn't bear the idea that that she wouldn't be there to finish the film together that we'd worked so hard on uh, together. A film made possible by a team of doctors, surgeons and nurses at Vancouver General Hospital. We almost see them like extended family and, and that's for life. Snowden and her husband Fine were almost finished their latest animated short last year when she fell ill with a persistent lung infection. What doctors had hoped would have been a speedy recovery turned into a near-death experience. Well, her lungs were not working to the point that standard uh, ventilation uh, with a respirator or life support wasn't even enough for her. An 11th hour lung transplant saved her life. Now the couple have dedicated this film to the team at VGH. We just thought it was fitting to, to dedicate it to, to their team because they were so dedicated to us and for, to my recovery. And we want the, the world to know what goes on there, the good work they do. And by having the dedication, it you know, propagates that, that message. A message thousands will soon see. This film is now a contender for the world's biggest animation festival. We're very happy that uh, we could help uh, her write the next chapter in, in her life story and bring a work of art uh, to the world that would never have occurred if uh, uh, she had not gone through all of that. Nadia Stork, Global News. Okay, what's the problem, Carrie? Have you heard the one about the goose, the turtle, and the unicorn? 
the story of a heroic rescue right after Christie's forecast. It's a snap. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You have to wait for it, though, Christy, and of course. Uh, share the forecast with us. Yeah, lots going on in the weather forecast. Thanks so much, Sophie. It is a beautiful evening out there, but uh, you may have noticed the haze across the region uh, today. I'm going to explain to you what happened. But first, we tallied the numbers for May, by the way. It was the hottest, uh, second hottest on record in Vancouver. But six other regions across the province also uh, broke records. Kamloops, Kelowna, uh, Abbotsford and Comox being four of them. And look at this. Kelowna was five degrees above average. It was an incredibly hot and dry May. Now, we are are seeing that across uh, the northwest U.S. as well. A number of fires uh, in California and other regions, and that is spreading the smoke right up into our area with the strong southwest flow. That brought the hazy conditions to the lower mainland today. A lot of it has shifted into the southeastern corner. I looked at some of the tower cams in areas like uh, Kootenai, and you are certainly seeing a lot of haze, and that's because of the smokes, smoke down south. Now, here's the jet stream here driving a lot of the rain to the central and north coast, staying dry and mild all across the south, but this jet stream is going to drop back down. We are back into rain. One more dry day for the south coast for the lower mainland, but then tomorrow evening that rain will shift down. So here's the timeline. Those of you across Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast will see it through the day tomorrow. For Victoria and lower mainland, dry through the day. We will see it towards the evening hours and we will continue to see it on Friday as well. So by the end of the day on Friday, here's how much rain we could see. Uh, some areas across the west coast up to 25 millimeters metro vancouver anywhere from 15 to 25 millimeters the bulk of that along the north shore up into the sunshine coast and over towards squamish as well so there's your forecast for tomorrow periods of rain across the north coast further inland just a slight chance of an isolated shower or a thunderstorm and that's the same case across the south generally dry and warm once again as i mentioned it's the northwestern portion of vancouver island and the sunshine coast that will get wet during the day and then that will shift down into the south uh, by the evening hours and we will continue with the rainfall on Friday. Much cooler on Friday and through the weekend remaining unsettled. The best chance for sunshine this weekend so far is Saturday afternoon. And I'll leave you with this great shot. Lots of shots of the uh, um, goslings coming in. I would say these are teenagers, Sophie, just near um, the Science World in Vancouver. That's not the 27 goslings that showed us yesterday. We counted, we think, 28 on this one. Oh, really? Wow. Okay, must be the season. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Caught on video in Iowa, a dramatic rescue on the water. Carrie Coppola was driving past a pond when his wife noticed a goose struggling in the water. He grabbed the first flotation device that he could find. <laughs> oh, yeah! Oh, no! So when he arrived on his inflatable unicorn, he discovered the goose was being attacked by a snapping turtle. Not sure what to do without being bitten himself, he managed to guide both animals to the shore where his brother separated them and saved the goose. Welcoming him home. I feel like they need to thank us. <laughs> okay. The thank you card will be in the mail, I'm sure. One more non-gas guzzling electric vehicle is on the road tonight. Are you going to drive it out? 
I'm going to drive it out. I'm going to drive it home. <laughs> Vancouver's Chris Ann Kuzis takes possession of her new Chevy Volt, which she won in Global's Pacific International Auto Show contest. Um, I'm really big on green living and on building green cities and investing in sustainable energy. So this is really a dream come true for me. I've always wanted an electric car. I've never owned my own car before. So this is amazing. It's an absolutely incredible. You win a car. And that's it. I want to go back to that goose and turtle bit. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody's cheering. Oh, good. The goose is saved. Right. But now look at it from the snapping turtle's point the of view. turtle's hungry. You came to yeah. my house, buddy, and took my meal right off my plate. So he's going to have a grudge against So unicorns. the snapping turtle's got a... <laughs> it's snappish. Yeah, he's very snappish about that. I'm sure. There's always two sides of this nature thing. <laughs> Hey, how about a fan? She caught that last foul ball with her beer. Yeah. <laughs> no bad hops there. <laughs> well, you might think catching a foul ball in your beer cup with your cell phone in your other hand would be good enough. But San Diego Padres fan Gabby DeMarco took it all to the next level, becoming oh, an online misses. legend with this. After a few seconds celebration, she chugged go. it, ball still in the cup, <laughs> crowd cheering her on. That is not quite, not quite as dangerous as the sour toe cocktail. <laughs> yeah, I think that does not sound appetizing. I forget everything about the- it, but there's a toe in the cocktail. I think it's from the Yukon, right? And yeah. uh, they came down during the Olympics. And I remember Randine and I were doing the show, and the guy says, "Here, try it." But the idea is you're supposed to drink it, and then the toe was supposed to at some point touch your lips. And did you? Shockingly, yes. Really? That doesn't oh, sound they, like you. They convinced me that they had washed this toe like no other toe has been washed. It's an alcohol, right? So It's an alcohol, but still, the whole, it, it, it creeps me out right now. <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> so baseball is nothing. I'm proud of you. All right. Um, the moment they hand out the Stanley Cup, which actually could be tomorrow, everyone will focus on the NHL draft. June 22nd, it begins. And... Teams not named Vegas and Washington really have been focusing on that moment ever since their season ended. But the draft is no longer just the moment that prospects get picked over by teams. It's now become the most active and big-name swap meet in the NHL. Forget the deadline during the season. This is where most of the big trades are made. And with the Canucks no longer having Henrik and Daniel Sedin, they will be in the market for a veteran forward or two. Not a super old one, you would hope. But a veteran forward or two, that can help some of the younger players. And the tough thing is, most teams are going to want a young player or players in exchange. And the Canucks really aren't interested in making that kind of a trade, of course, unless it is just too good to pass up. Um, you know, we're, we're in, the, in, the, in the mode of, of, of collecting young assets and, and continuing on that path. And so uh, when the talk of trading young assets for older players that's that's a tough one for us but if there's something that makes sense then we'll definitely look at yeah, it. it's pretty much a non-starter if they want some for sure it is and and so uh, we're really focused on the draft though we're excited about uh, the, the work our group has done our scouts and um, I thought our draft last year was outstanding and and you know hopefully we can if we can add a pick or two uh, uh, this year that'd be great if not we're still looking forward to uh, the six players that we're going to pick and, and uh, uh, adding to that group 
All right, can the Cleveland Cavaliers bounce back at home? They have won eight straight at home in the playoffs, but they haven't played Golden State at home yet. But they get off to a good start. Kevin Love for three. Makes it happen. Check this out by LeBron James. This is worth watching. Passes to himself. Well, considering how inferior his teammates are at times, he might as well pass it to himself. I don't know how many years ago Michael Jordan made the move against the Lakers. And we remember it today. Cleveland keeps the... Uh, the pedal to the metal. Steal. Basket by Love, but the momentum shifts. And Golden State makes it close. In fact, this basket by Kevin Durant will tie it early in the second quarter. 29-28. Cleveland, they're down 0-2 in the series. Well, Maria Sharapova made the semis, mainly because Serena Williams couldn't go any further at the French Open. They were supposed to play each other. Then she ran into Garbine. Muguruza today, and it was no contest. In fact, Sharapova helped her a lot by smacking a lot of balls right into the net. She lost the first set 6-2, and the second set 6-1, so she is out. Muguruza gets Hallett. And the men's action today was uh, started, but then rain came, and they got uh, chased off until tomorrow. There you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. Let's awesome. check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We're following up on the arrest of an alleged money launderer who is using the River Rock Casino in Richmond. Dan Boy Shun Jin is alleged to be a high roller suspected of laundering $850 million through several international casinos, also wanted in the U.S. We'll have more on the investigation that led to Jin's arrest and on the money movement scheme through YVR that he was allegedly in charge of. And former national soccer team player Karina LeBlanc is launching a new foundation tonight in Maple Ridge. We'll have more on that tonight at 11. All right, you can go catch your breath now. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, J.D. Can okay. I make a little correction? Yeah, did you I, I said, Yes, I did. I said it was semifinals, and I was showing you Sharapova. It was actually oh, okay. quarterfinals, right. not semifinals. The semifinals are coming up in tennis for women at the French Open. Okay. All right, you clarified you it. Okay. Very sad news and mm. and shocking sudden news that came out last night about uh, John Ashbridge, mentor to many people in this building. Mm-hmm. Mentor time. to many people in the news industry, um, somebody who was very much a part of the fabric in the sports industry, did PA announcing for virtually every team in this town, but best known, of course, for the Vancouver Canucks. We lost that great man at the age of 71. For 30 years, Canucks fans and Canucks players knew his voice. Ladies and gentlemen, your Vancouver Canucks! It's the first voice I heard when I stepped on Pacific Coliseum Ice as an 18-year-old, and that booming voice was kind of like, whoa. And, but I think for fans and certainly players, you knew it was a Canucks game when, when you heard John's voice. But John Ashbridge was more than just part of the fabric of the Vancouver sports scene. Good afternoon, John Ashbridge with NW News to 3. For John Ashbridge, radio was a calling that came very early in life. Well, John Ashbridge was born in England but moved to Victoria as a 5-year-old. He wanted to get into broadcasting as a 12-year-old. So he hung around CJVI in Victoria and they sort of gave him part-time jobs. And at 14, he got a job as a part-time employee at CFAX in Victoria. When he finally got to Vancouver in the mid-60s, his voice quickly became a soundtrack for the city. But more than that, John Ashbridge was one of those rare individuals who was as nice as he was talented. You know, they broke the mold when they made John. Uh, Kind, 
genuine, classy, had time for anybody, whether you knew him or where you were a complete stranger. People would recognize his voice instantly, and he would always make time to, to talk with them. Um, he's going to leave a, 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 there is going to be a big hole left in, in a lot of people's hearts and uh, in, in this market, broadcasting, announcing sports, the Canucks, uh, everything. His personal highlight might have been the 2010 Olympics, when John's voice went worldwide. I had the privilege, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be the announcer of record as the medals, both silver and gold, were awarded to Team USA and the victorious Team Team Canada. Anytime that I think about the Olympics, that will have to go down in memory alongside working a couple of Stanley Cup finals, working a Memorial Cup championship here in Vancouver, and working the gold medal game in the Olympics in hometown Vancouver. I mean, that has to be a memory that I will treasure forever and ever. Just like we'll treasure the memory of John Ashbridge. Oh. I was going to say, um, I said this this morning on NW, when someone dies, you know, people always say, you know, nice things about them. And rarely do they say anything bad mm-hmm. about someone when they first die. But what's even rarer is when someone's alive and no one says anything bad about them. Right. And John Ashbridge, I never heard like anybody that. say anything bad about that man the when nicest he was alive. Guy. Yep. He was definitely the nicest guy with the greatest voice. And he will be missed. Thanks for everything, Ash. Have a good night.